The end of chapter 2 of Ephesians says this. So then you're no longer strangers or aliens. Did you know that? Do you believe that? You are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also being built together into a dwelling place for God and the Holy Spirit." God dwells here. God lives among us. He lives in us and through us. We are shaping a theology of the church. We're coming to um, have the right framework in our minds and imaginations about what the church is and what God has been up to since before the beginning of what we call time. God is building a home, a dream home. That's the way um, it is phrased in Eugene Peterson's The Message. God is building his dream home and we're all included in it. We are all part of it. That's the really, really good news of the book of Ephesians, that we are adopted into God's family. We become not only part of the family, but part of the structure of the household of God, and we get to participate in it that way. Now today, we're moving on into Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul continues to build this kind of theology of the church, or the way that we should think properly about the church, the community of God's people, in terms of a household. And he takes here, in the first part of Ephesians chapter 3, the first 13 verses here are a little bit of an excursus. Um, into his own identity or his own self-portrait within the family portrait. He finds himself in the self-portrait and tells us a little bit about who he is and and how he arrived there. Paul, our author, he kind of focuses on on himself a little bit. Um, Do you remember those big puzzle pages called, called Where's Waldo? And you, you look at this, at this huge puzzle page with just all these tiny, teeny, tiny microscopic little portraits and pictures in it. And, the, and then you find Waldo, the one with the hat and the red and white striped shirt. And, and when you find Waldo, well, that's the whole goal of it. You, then, you can, then you see Waldo and you focus in on him. And then as you pull back, you see Waldo's part of this huge scene, you know, this huge group of, of, of all of these people. So imagine that we are looking at one of those, like, like the size of the screen or bigger, and it's got all these tiny little images on it uh, of, of all these tiny little portraits and people, and then focus in a little bit on the Apostle Paul. He said, for this reason, he's talking about what I just read to you at the end of chapter two, for the reason of the church. Why? For the reason of the church. You ever wonder why you're put here? For the reason of the church. God is building a church, and we are involved in it. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that's one thing about Paul that we should know. He's a prisoner at the time of this writing. He's in prison in Rome, chained to a wall, maybe chained to a guard, but he is no longer a free man. He is at this point at a place in his life where he doesn't know what the next day will bring. It could be that he'll be set free and out back to do ministry again, back into the culture, or it could be that he'll be taken away and tried and executed. He doesn't know what it's going to look like from day to day. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, he's talking about the group of people 
there's two groups of people in a Jewish imagination, Jews and everybody else. There's Jews who are God's chosen people, God's holy people, the people that God has been working with and through since before the beginning. And then there's everybody else, and that's Gentiles. He's talking to an audience of Gentiles in Ephesus. For the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's, see, he's zeroing in on that picture, and he's showing us himself in the picture. God gave me the administration of God's grace. It was given to me for you. That is the mystery that has been made known to me by revelation. I've already written about it briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my particular this is insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by God's Spirit, by the Spirit um, to God's holy apostles and prophets, of which Paul feels that he is one. He is an apostle, chosen by God, sent by God. He says, now look at me. Look at me in this, pic, in this image. How did I get here? He's going to tell us in verse 8, a couple of verses away, I'm, the, I'm less than the least of all God's people. I'm less than the least of all God's people. And yet here I am. He, he gave me a, a grace. He gave me the grace and the gift to speak, to proclaim, to make known the mystery of God's will. So as soon as we're focused in on him and we can see the where's Paul in the whole image and we, we identify him a little bit and we go, that's it, that's the right shirt, that's the right hat, that's, that's Paul. And then we back up and we see this huge perspective of every person who has placed their faith. In fact, every person who is part of God's faithful people from the very beginning of time, even before Christ got here, to the time that Christ walked on earth, to the every person in the future, people who haven't even lived yet, and we're all in this huge portrait. And Paul's focusing in on himself and saying, God gave me a particular gift. My particular gift, my role in this picture is to bring the gospel to Gentiles. That's what God has called me to do. The word he uses over and over again here is revelation. Revelation. It was revealed to me. The lights were switched on. I was able to see something that, that hasn't been able to be seen before. God showed it to me. He declared it to me. Revelation is a, is a direct communication from God. Um, a good analogy or a good way to think about it might be electricity. Uh, electricity was not invented. It was discovered by a guy flying a kite in a thunderstorm and zap, boom, bright lights, he hit the ground. Does this sound like anyone that you might know? Does this sound like anyone we might be hearing from here? The Apostle Paul um, riding a donkey through the desert on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, bam, light, he hits the ground, he's deaf, he's, he's mute, he's blind, he can't see a thing. Actually, he wasn't deaf because he heard, he heard what? The voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he was converted. From that moment, he was a believer. It was a revelation. This was made known to me. It was revealed to me. My eyes were opened. I saw something that had been hidden in generations past, but God decided to reveal it to the, the apostles and the prophets who came along. Um, Another picture I, I love to draw about revelation 
is, uh, well, I was not long ago in Europe. If you've ever traveled to Europe, you, you might notice that in the center of all of these beautiful um, ancient cities, I think, okay, ancient might be a little bit of a stretch, but really, really, really old cities in the middle of Europe, and, and you'll find that in this city, maybe something very significant happened on one day in history. Maybe a certain uh, person was involved in, in this incredible historical event, and they'll, they'll make a statue of that event, and they put it in the center of the city. Now, imagine being there for the, for the party they had on the day that that statue was revealed. It was, it was commissioned long ago by, to an artist who they knew would be capable of reproducing a great likeness, one that would be awe-inspiring and make other people want to be like this person. That artist has been working in the dark. You know, that artist has been behind the scenes in their shop, in their, in their workshop, working away and working away and working away until... It comes time for the big party, the parade, there's a band, there are funnel cakes, everybody's there in the middle of the city, and, they, and, and the statue is covered with a big veil, right? Until the moment the band comes to a crescendo, balloons are set off, and then whoosh, they pull, they, they pull the sheet away, <laughs> and, and it's revealed, the beautiful artwork. This is what the artist has been working on for so long. And this was like it was for Paul. It was revealed. I saw the picture he's been working on. I saw this beautiful masterpiece that he's been behind the scenes working on since before the beginning of what we call time, T-I-M-E. It doesn't have the same meaning for God as it does for us. But, but, but this is what he's been stewing about and working on and preparing to present to us. And now it's been revealed. It's been made known. It's been opened up and seen by me, by the apostles and other prophets, by the, but, and now to the church. It is revealed and made known to us. The mystery, the mystery of his will. God's revelation comes specifically through the Holy Spirit. This is, this is particularly a job, you could say, of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who has opened up, turned on the lights, opened our minds, opened our arts, our eyes, and, and, and made us capable of seeing something that was not visible before. It's particularly a role of the Holy Spirit. 3.6 tells us exactly what the, what, what the mystery is. This mystery, if in case you're wondering, the mystery is that through the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with all of Israel. So he said, I'm, I'm, I was given a commission, I was given a job to open up, to bring, to reveal the good news to you Gentiles. That was Paul's particular calling. And the mystery is that the Gentiles are together with the Jews in this whole thing. That every single pro promise that was made to them is made to you. It is good for you. You may claim it. It is for you. That all of the, the relationship that was available between God himself and, and the Jewish people themselves is for you. You are now part of this promise. You're part of the family. You're in by adoption, but that means you're every bit as in as any of the natural born children. You are part of God's household, part of God's people, you are part in such a way that you can now never be excluded again. 
God called you. He saw you. He spoke your name and called you with his own voice into his own family. And now this is part of who you are. This is where we are. We are here. We are here in the family of God with one another. And I, a servant of the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power, we talked about his power before, although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. He was given this particular grace that he gets to tell people the good news. You're included, you're invited. The doors have swung wide open and you are invited to be part of it. That's the grace God gave him to preach, to make known to everyone the administration of this mystery. The mystery is the church, which for ages past was hidden, was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent is that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And according to his eternal purposes that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, remember he's talking about this eternal plan. Since before the beginning of the time, this was the plan. This was the purpose. This was the administration of his will. In him and through him that we may approach God. What? that we walk right up to God, that we, we can step right into God's presence, we can walk right before his throne and ask for his attention, that he would wanna hear from us, that he might care about us, that we might have an audience with the creator of the universe. That's right, that we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, to not be discouraged because of my sufferings. He's referring back to being in prison for which you, um, for you, which are your glory. Paul is reminding us that the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity, has done a particular task that has opened or revealed God's plan to us in which he himself has a role. He is setting us up, by the way, for, for you to examine your own role. He's preparing us to think about what we may have to do because, or what role we may have to play or, or with whom we may share this message of good news because he has given all of us, all of us, he has, been, has given this wonderful opportunity to not just be part of the family and sit around and watch TV and enjoy ourselves and and enjoy the food from the kitchen and the, and the good stuff that other people bring, but we are gonna actually, as we're gonna find here, have chores of our own to do. If we're part of the household, we interact, we play our part, and he's prepping us for that by showing us his own role. He said, by God's grace and by God's mercy and through this revelation, we all are participants together with him. That is, the that is the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. The, the word, and I believe I spelled it out somewhere in, in a Greek to me in one of your chapters, euangelion, the good news of the gospel. You means good 
and angelion means message, the good message. You'll see that angelion sounds like angel. Um, it, the angels are the messengers. Those who are bringers of good news are the bringers of the gospel. They bring the message of good news. I have good news for you. You're adopted. You're welcome. You're invited. You're part of all of this. Used to be that only the Jews could even hope or presume to be part of God's people, but now all of us are equally welcome in. Paul became a servant of God, not because... Um, he bought into it or it seemed like a good idea at, a, at, at, at the time or it felt like a good deal to, to him. But here, as always, we find that God is in charge. God planned it. He planned it from before the beginning of time, called Paul. He said, that's, that's who I am and that's how I ended up in this picture. Because you may have never thought the least of all God's people to find me in this picture, but that is who God is. And why would Paul do that? Why would he call himself the least of all the Lord's people? Because you know what? Paul lived with himself in the daylight hours, and Paul lived with himself in the dark hours. And Paul knew exactly who Paul was. And Paul knew precisely that he did not deserve this grace, the graces, plural, that were given to him by God. He got in uh, by God's calling and God's choice, and that is the way we get into the family as well, by God's calling and God's choice and God's grace. So here's something to think about. When God gives us a calling, when he gives us a, uh, a message, when he gives us good news, he will give us the information that we need. That's revelation. He will give us the information we need. That's revelation. He will give us the message, the good news. The word revelation, by the way, is apocalypsos um, or apocalypsis. It, if you turn to the last book of your Bibles, it is revelation. If you saw that in Greek, that's the word you would see, apocalypse. It is, it's the revelation or the opening up of something that's been held secret but now is revealed. It's the revelation of, of God's grace to us. He gives us the information we need, and he gives us the spiritual gift that we need. He's, he gives us the abilities that we need. That's what Paul refers to as the grace, the grace given to me, the grace given to me. That word in Greek, if you see it in Greek, is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis, where we get our word charisma or charismatic. It means God has given me the gifts, the capacity, the ability, the knowledge, the understanding, maybe an insight, maybe words that we don't even know where they're coming from, but they're just what another person needs to hear. Have you ever, ever been on the receiving end of that? You ever been on the giving end of that? Or somebody said, that is exactly what I needed to hear, and I was, I didn't, I, that was not in my script, that wasn't in my uh, lecture notes. I don't know where that came from, but, but somebody needed to hear it, and God brought that word to us. He'll give us the information we need, the apocalypse, and he'll give us the spiritual gifts that we need, the charis. He gives us everything we need in order to do exactly what he has called us to do. The church is big. It is bigger than ourselves. We arrive and we awaken, we alert, we become alert and awake 
to a world that is beyond anything we could ever imagine. As we back up into a wider angle lens and we begin to see all of the faces from all of the times, from all of the centuries, even the ones in the future who haven't even left, lived yet, we're part of that. We're part of that family portrait. Um, thinking through this, I, uh, several years ago, wrote a statement just as I was writing my teaching notes. Um, I call it my, my credo or my creed or my belief about the church. I believe that every single follower of Jesus Christ is a member of the universal church that crosses the boundaries of culture, time, and space. I believe that the church is what God has been up to since the beginning of time. By this I mean that God's every action has served the purpose of creating a church that will, when eternity begins, stand unified as his finished product with nothing left to do but worship. In the meantime, the church is the institution through which God has chosen to bring the message of the gospel of Christ to the world. This message is one of reconciliation, that each person has the hope of a restored relationship with his creator and with one another. That we may approach with freedom and confidence the throne of God, all of us. That's our purpose. That's the grand plan of God's effective will and that is what we are part of when we're called into his family. Let's look real quick at the last uh, pericope. You like that word? Are you liking it? Pericope. Paid a lot of money to learn words like that, and so we're just gonna, <laughs> just gonna throw them out there and make good use of them. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Paul is praying. Um, let me just pop in here a little note before I read the rest of it. Paul is a mentor. He's a teacher. He's a master teacher, and master teachers most effectively teach when they're showing us how to do what they're trying to encourage us to do by just doing it in front of us and letting us watch, letting us listen, letting us kind of feel uh, how it works for them, and then, and then we imitate them. We're capable of imitating them. So Paul, several times in Ephesians, he'll just drop everything and start to pray. He's partly, he's, he's entering into this, you know, kind of relationship with God where we get to sort of be, um, listen, we listen in, you know, we, we kind of, we're given this um, moment of, of this inclusion, this, in this intimate place where, where we're able to watch him interact with God, but at the same time, if we're paying attention, we will learn how to pray from the master, one of the masters of prayer, the Apostle Paul himself. I don't know if you've ever been with anybody. Like I had a mentor um, many years ago. She's gone to be with the Lord now, uh, but she would do this. When we're sitting there talking, we'd just be talking about an issue, a problem, I don't know, a passage of scripture, whatever, and all of a sudden I would get this feeling. She'd be talking along, and I would suddenly get this feeling she's not talking to me She's talking to someone else in the room, and it was like God, like God was right there in the chair next to, to us that was pulled up in the same circles, like me and, and, 
and my mentor and, and the Lord. And she suddenly turned her attention to him and it's like she and God are doing this thing and I'm just there watching. This is what's happening in chapter 3, starting here in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. He's praying for us that God may strengthen us with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He's praying that we would have a few things. He is praying for us. And half of the time with my mentor, this would be what I would hear. When she'd start praying, it's like, she's talking about me, but she's not talking to me. She was talking to the Lord, praying for me. And I got to witness it. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He enters into prayer, hits his knees, and he's praying for us. He's praying, first, that we would have inner strength, that, that God would strengthen you through power, through his spirit in your inner being, that we would be spiritually strong people. I think... If, we, uh, if you have raised children or you're around grandchildren, um, I, th I think you, it would be safe to argue that this is one of our wishes for our own children, right? That our children would be strong, that they would have the strength of character, that they would have the strength of conviction, that as they go out into the world and they start getting pressures and, and ideas and everything from all over the world and from, from different people who might give them different ideas and different, you know, uh, um, options as far as behavior, as far as beliefs, as far as lifestyle and activity, that, that they would be strong, that they would know who they are. They would know where they are. They would know where God is and that they would have the strength to make those decisions, those day-to-day -day decisions that end up stacking on top of each other and mattering a whole lot when it's all said and done. That those decisions would be rooted and established in the love of God. That that is who God is, that's who he is, and this is who I am. And I'm gonna make my decisions in the strength of that being. That is strength that comes through the Holy Spirit. That is strength that comes through the third person of the Trinity as we live and are awake and are alert to the presence of God in our lives. He's praying that we'd be strengthened with that kind of power. Laura spelled it out for you last week. Power. Dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. That, that explosive Whoa, it shook me to the inside. That's the kind of power that is available to us. That's the kind of power that, that we have available in us and through us. When we breathe in, we inhale, and we allow the Holy Spirit to breathe in and through us. 
that we would be strengthened in our inner being, that we would have inner strength, strength of character, strength of conviction. He's praying that Christ may dwell in our hearts, that Christ will dwell right in our hearts through faith, that through our believing, through acknowledging, seeing who God claims to be, believing who God claims to be, that through that belief, Christ actually dwells in us. That's also through the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. The experience of the abiding presence of of Christ in our lives is that strength, that presence, that sense of gravity that comes with this knowledge in the inner man. This integrity is another way of thinking of it. Um, Who you are when no one's watching. Who you are when no one's there to to see it, to record it, to write it down. Who you are when you're in in places and in times and among people that aren't, do you think, judging you. That's Christ dwelling in you. I'm praying that you'll be strengthened by God's spirit that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love will have the power together with all God's people, that we'd have inner strength, that Christ would dwell in us, and that we would be established or rooted, that all of our growth, that whatever our growth is, that it would come up from and be originated in the love of God, the love of God that love would be the soil into which we deeply sink our roots. And from God's love, our roots grow together with all the saints. This means together, and Paul makes a great big deal about it in this whole theology of the church, that we need each other, that we're a family, and that even though we are a hot mess, I hope you read that little paragraph about my own family portrait, it was like, We have lived some stories. It's a big family, very loving family, but wow, we're a mess. And and look at our, don't do it right now, but like look around us. Look around your table. You know, look, look around this room. We're a hot mess, girls. And now grab your little pocket mirror and look at yourself. Don't forget that. But we need each other. We are not meant to do this in isolation. This won't, the Christian life won't work on our own. God rigged it this way. We must have each other. We must live with each other, laugh with each other, let each other fail, let each other fall, pick each other up, dust each other off, and keep walking keep walking together. It's very, very important that we not try to dust our own selves off and look real pretty before we go in you. It's very important that, that we are able to, to trust, find people in whom we can trust and who we want to know. And may you, through this cooperation with each other, not only by experiencing love and grace yourself, but by seeing how God has been loving and gracious toward your messed up girlfriends. And and let that, and just go, 
How wide? How long? How high? How deep is the love of God? And look in the mirror. How? How? I'm the le- less than the least of all God's people, says the Apostle Paul. I'm less than the least of them all. And here I am. I am a proclamation that God's work is good, that God can do good work. I'm a living testimony that God can do good work, that his love is high and deep and long. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than everything we could ever think or imagine according to the power that is at work where? Within us. This is the kind of explosive power that's at work inside of us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, not just now, but forever, and not just forever, but forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Glory in the church. Glory of the one who can do more than we can hope or imagine in the the church. Sometimes um, we are referred, the, the church is, re, is referred in, 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 in Bible language as the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ. May his glory be in us. May we shine his glory through us. I hope so. I hope so. Amen.